Currently, my biggest struggle is leading a class without physically practicing literally all the way through. I've finally found a confidence in my voice. My cues are getting better. I'm learning anatomy. You know, I'm doing all the little things to empower the voice and to feel strong. But there's something that makes me feel like I can't help but practice along with the students. Like it feels funny to be at the head of the room and to be looking back at the students and to just cue, even though I've been to hundreds of classes, that's exactly how it happens. I've heard it so many times by teachers that have been teaching a long time in talking about like what's expected. Oh, some people can cue a whole class without moving one time. I'm like, okay, that just sounds so foreign to me and so unrelatable. You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call. This means I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session that they have graciously allowed me to release as a podcast episode. These on-air coaching calls are a fascinating peek into the brains and the lives of other yoga teachers. I personally have a tremendous amount of gratitude and admiration for each yoga teacher who shows up on these on-air coaching call episodes to share their story, their challenges, and their aspirations. If you enjoy this podcast and want to contribute, please go to teachingyoga.net slash learn to browse the online courses you can purchase there. If you'd like to be featured in an on-air coaching call, email your topic idea to mado at teachingyoga.net. That's M-A-D-O at teachingyoga.net. Johanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mado. It's so nice to meet you. Tell me a bit about your journey to becoming a yoga teacher. When did you first find yoga? What inspired you to start teaching? So I was raised in the teachings of Yogananda. Yoga, Eastern philosophy, meditation were a big part of my upbringing. Uh, yoga wasn't as, as active as a part as I was growing up, but meditation and the rest of the aspects were. I'll say that stayed with me through, through my whole adolescence and my adulthood. When I was in my early 20s, I was pregnant with my first daughter, Priya, and I, for some reason, decided that I would take a yoga class because I thought like, oh, this will be easy and simple stretching. And it was one of the hardest classes I ever did. And from there, it like the seed was planted into this needs to be a part of my life indefinitely. And so fast forward, motherhood, single motherhood, all those things came and time passed. And we're going to fast forward to 2017 when I did my first teacher training at the Soul of Yoga, which is in Encinitas in California. And that changed my life. That teacher training was basically the catalyst to finding a passion that I never had before. Like it was like my my heart was opened. I was expanded. I was like, I'm home. I, I never saw things through a lot in life when I was younger. And like this teacher training was like, I put in everything. I saw a version of myself that I'd never seen before. So it was like I was seeing myself become Johanna, 
through this yoga teacher training. And basically, I never looked back since. Now, my fear of talking and speaking was very deeply embedded in me. So I think that was like my biggest struggle to actually get to teach. Like when I did my final at the end of the 200 hour teacher training, you know, you have to do like a little mini module and I froze up. Like I saw my mentor and my teacher who I admired a lot at, at the back of the room and I froze and I wasn't able to do it. So I held on for that little bit of like a cowardly feeling for several years. And I just decided I'm going to practice as hard as I can. I'm going to get so good at listening, at feeling, at knowing my body that I will eventually get comfortable enough to teach. And fast forward a little more, life happened. Enough, enough difficult things happened in my life that actually led me to find my voice. And then I finally started actually teaching actively like my own classes that I put together, that I found the venue, that I made it happen in May of this year. And for me, that's probably one of like the biggest accomplishments, the most, one of the biggest things that I was able to bring to fruition in my life. And I just, I feel really accomplished that, you know, even though I have a small class that I've been able to teach consistently for these last five months. <sighs> During teacher training, there was so much fear that came up around public speaking that it took you six years to actually start your own classes. And then you did it. You freaking did it. I freaking did it. I'm like patting myself on both shoulders and just like almost, you know, cheering myself on because I really at one point thought, I don't know if I can ever actually do this. Yeah. So and I did. Which to me means like, if I can, anyone can. So then you had a question for me. Yes. That I invited you to explore more deeply on the podcast. You want to go into that? Like, Awesome. Thank you so much, Majo. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity for us to learn together and you to help guide me through this. So currently my biggest struggle is teaching, leading a class without physically practicing literally all the way through. So... I've finally found a confidence in my voice. My cues are getting better. I'm learning anatomy. You know, I'm doing all the little things to, I don't know, empower, right, the voice and to feel strong. But there's something that makes me feel I can't help but practice along with the students. Like it feels funny to be at the head of the room and to be looking back at the students and to just cue, even though I've been to hundreds of classes that's exactly how it happens. I've never felt an issue, you know, but now that I'm on the other side, I feel like it's, this might sound funny, like it's my service to follow along with them and show them that I can also do it. It almost feels like it makes the students feel more comfortable seeing me practice along with them. Although I know there's a fine line. And so I guess that's where I'm stuck in like finding that, that right balance of like learning how to move around the class and being able to cue and maybe moderately give assists verbally, like all those things, I feel like right now I don't even know how I'd go about it. So what makes you feel that you need to not practice with the class? Mm. It's almost like, you know how sometimes people are like, I feel like I need to be doing something with my body and they're like this. It's, it's kind of how I feel and I don't know if it's an energy thing where it's like, 
a way of keeping my nervous energy honed in. So like by moving with them, I'm not sure. I haven't pinpointed what it is that makes me feel like, okay, it just makes more sense if I'm moving with them. You know, like I told you, when I was writing to you about this inquiry, the only times I feel comfortable, and I'm sure anybody that's struggling with this is going to relate, that I feel comfortable not practicing along is child's pose, downward dog, where I'm not being, you know, directly looked at. Those are the moments where I will like sit up on my knees and I'll be able to give cues and I'll be watching everybody and add cues. And I feel really good at those moments. But for some reason, when it comes to face to face and now they're back up, I feel like now I need to join in. Now I need to do my variation of tree as well. Yeah, I hear that. No, I'm actually asking the opposite. Why do you think that that's not okay? Why do you feel pressure (laughs) to not practice with your students? Okay, thank you. Because I've heard it so many times by these teachers that have been teaching a long time. And I've heard this, I might have heard this in a couple of your podcasts, like in a couple of interviews where teachers said, and it may have been like in talking about like what's assumed now, right? What's expected where it's like, oh, some people can cue a whole class without moving one time. I'm like, okay, that just sounds so foreign to me and so unrelatable. So really, I don't think there's anything wrong. I feel good. I feel comfortable. I feel like I'm empowering my students when I'm doing poses and I'm not taking like any sort of fancy variations. I'm always taking like the most accessible version of the pose so that it feels like, listen, I'm I'm also taking tree with my foot at the bottom of my ankle as a kickstand because that's where I feel most strong and stable in my tree kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like when I'm doing these movements or when I'm expanding my tree branches and tree, it almost, they also feel empowered to do so. It's like expand your tree branches versus just saying it and not doing it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do I make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. The reason I ask is that it's going to be much harder to make a change that you don't feel is important from the inside. Hmm. So what I'm hearing, and if there's more to it, I, I'm totally open to hear more, but I'm hearing that this is an external expectation that you are getting these messages from the outside. Johanna, mm. you as a teacher, you need to cue without demonstrating. And so that's why I started with that question is because your reasons for wanting to do that are going to affect the way that I would guide you to do so. Okay. If your reasons for doing so are coming from the outside. It's like to meet other people's expectations, not my students, Mm -hmm. but other people who have never attended my class and probably never will. (laughs) True. I am not sure that I would really focus on that at this point. Mm. Is it okay to have that as a goal? And what are ways to want to find your way to navigating towards, I don't know, feeling comfortable enough where you're like, okay, today I'm going to walk around the class a little bit while I hold everyone in a pose. Like my thing is always like, how do I say, stay here? I'm going to walk around without saying, stay here. I'm going to walk around. Mm -hmm. What is wrong with saying, stay here. I'm going to walk around. 
It is the clearest. <laughs> I mean, that is what you want to say. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think I have yeah. this, some sort of hang up or fear that like I'm not expressing myself correctly. And it's like, I think that's uh, the silliest thing in the world. Like if somebody else was coming to me and saying that, I'd say, no, like you said, that's as, as clear as can be. What What is wrong with that? I don't know. I feel like sometimes I feel like what I've been given through maybe social media and all these other things, they you're made to feel like everything has to be like so fancy and said in this such a certain specific way and with a tone. And if you don't say with the right tone and if you say shit, well, then it's like, you know, there's so many what I feel like rules, spiritual rules and regulations in this yogic path. And like you said, sometimes we externally put them on. And I guess that's part of my struggle in finding my correct voice. Yeah. I mean, it relates back to the six years that you spent not teaching mm. because mm. there was part of you that was afraid that you wouldn't do it right. A hundred percent. And this journey that you've been on to connect to Johanna, what if we throw all the other voices out the window, at least temporarily? Mm. And it's not that we can't ever listen to them, but it's just that those voices are not in charge. They are opinions. But Johanna is in charge. You are in charge of your teaching and your relationship to your classes, your relationship to yoga, your relationship to your students. What you have started to tap into when you talked about how this helped you find yourself and your relationship to yourself, that is the center of where you teach from. Mm. And it is essential to trust that relationship and to give it its place of importance, its do place of importance at the center of how you make your decisions on teaching. So you asked earlier, is it okay to have the goal? Of course, Johanna is, decides the goals. I don't decide them. You decide them. And whenever you find yourself in that place of questioning, of saying, am I good enough? Is this good enough? Would this meet the standards of somebody from the outside? That's like a little flag to go in. It's a opportunity. Because when we question what we should do, especially regarding our teaching, when we're unsure and we try to go outside of ourselves for the answer, we generally make ourselves feel less confident in our decision because it wasn't ours. Mm. So you can receive information from the outside, but it's key to take ownership and responsibility for the decision. The outcome is yours. Any consequences are yours. So turning in and nurturing that relationship with the part of you that is who you want to grow into, that's where the decisions come from. We're all made up of many parts. We all have lots of different elements and aspects to our personality. And when we're confused, it means we're not connected to whatever part of us is sort of the mo most mature part, mm. the part that we are working to cultivate and to nurture. It's normal. It happens to all of us. But those moments of insecurity and indecision are our reminders to find that part and to do what it takes to support that part of ourselves. That makes so much sense. 
So ultimately, and it, it might sound funny for me to word it this way, but I feel like I'm being given permission to teach the way that my heart calls to. If, if I feel strong, I feel confident, if my students are responsive, then ultimately I'm not doing anything quote-unquote wrong in terms of how teachers are expected to teach these days. Well, I mean, I, I can only <laughs> I can only speak for myself, right? <laughs> yeah. I can't no. I can't tell you that you're not going to meet somebody else's expectations, but I will tell you that mm. I see what you're saying. What I want to encourage in yoga teachers is the inner listening and the inner relationship with your own intuition and your own wisdom over your ability to check boxes and to meet somebody else's standards. That's so key because I think many of us, especially starting in the teaching world, I feel like I can't be alone, that feel like we're, we're having to check all these boxes in order to, I don't know, who, who are we who are we checking these boxes for? I don't even know. Now that you've put it this way, I'm like, hello. Like, you're, you're right. But it's all these um, external pressures that we allow to kind of like layer over ourselves. And as you said, if we're not tapping into our most mature self, it's easy to get sucked in or stuck in those those checking of the boxes as opposed to like you said, there's nothing wrong with saying, stay here, I'm going to walk around. And what's funny is I've been wanting to say that for so long, but I haven't said it because I thought like, there's got to be a better way to say it. And I don't even know why I'm getting emotional saying that. It's just, you know, I second guess myself a lot. And I think that that happens to a lot of us because we feel we have to express everything so perfectly. But I think that when we bring our more human self, to the mat, to teaching, that it actually resonates with students more. Exactly. Yeah. Your students want a human as their right. teacher. They don't want a yoga robot. Agreed. And it's a form of people pleasing. A hundred percent. I think a big reason why it's so common among yoga teachers specifically is because we tend to be socialized as female mm. and a big part of our cultural training is pleasing people pleasing so that's why girls are getting the good grades and then they're succeeding at work by checking the boxes that make other people satisfied that meet the needs of other people and there's something very revolutionary about the person who is tapping into the wisdom, the inner wisdom, and being unapologetic as they share their version of the truth. Now, some of where we get a bit mixed up is that we see other people who are further along in that journey sharing their version of the truth. And instead of being inspired and going, wow, that is powerful, this person is standing in their own truth, 
we instead say, I need to fulfill this person's version of the truth. Mm. But we're inspired by many people. And sometimes they're sharing their version of the truth from these different angles and maybe focusing on different aspects. And it becomes overwhelming when you're, you're inspired by these folks and you don't know why you're inspired by them. What you're inspired is their ability to tap into their own belief system and their life force and to express that. It doesn't mean that you have to do it in the same way. That's very relatable, the way that you describe that. I can relate to having felt that in so many different ways. So it's great to have the ability to look at it a a little bit from the outside. But yes, I can very much relate to the fact that instead of being inspired to be your own version, you somehow attach yourself to the things that they're doing. And it's, it's tricky. It is tricky. And a lot of it does have to do with being a female, as you said, and the way that we're raised. So yeah, it is a breakdown of a lot of a lot of deeply embedded ideas, expectations, self-created and externally created. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of my going to be one of my biggest breakthroughs as a teacher in coming to that place of like, okay, yes, I am going to teach while practicing along with my class. And I will find moments where I will feel strong and confident enough to move around and maybe not practice this pose or that pose but I think my biggest thing was I was really beating myself up like I wasn't being the best version of Johanna as a yoga teacher because I'm not able to do like some of these super incredible yoga teachers and you know cue the whole class without moving one time like to me that doesn't even sound that great anyway so I don't even know why I was like putting so much uh, stock into it I remember when I first started teaching and it felt so important to be good right away. Yeah. You've only been teaching for like four months, five months, five months. Yeah. This is the beginning. Right. And instead of putting all this pressure on yourself to be perfect right away, to be, to meet somebody else's, definition of good if you could be where you are be in the phase you're in now you will be better that's the paradox Mm. if you are a beginner to gymnastics and you try to do like a triple back handspring or whatever it's not it's not going to be good but if you really work on your cartwheels Mm. eventually you'll get there I love that. So, right, if you are not ready for a skill and you attempt it anyway, what you end up putting out there is not going to be nearly as good as if you focus on a skill that you are ready for. That's just at your edge, just at your growing edge. So that's my message to people who've just started teaching Notice when you're comparing yourself to people who've been teaching for 20 years and pause, give yourself some love, give yourself some compassion. There is no benefit to comparing yourself to somebody in a completely different circumstance than you. And 
you know, there's that saying like, comparison is the thief of joy, right? We know from the (laughs) outside, we know we've been given the message, like, don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself. It's not, it's not healthy. Okay. We know that we're still going to do it. (laughs) So it's about noticing, aha, I notice I'm comparing Mm. myself again to somebody in a completely different circumstance than myself. Somebody who's has way more experience, very different personality, very different skill set. Let me pause here and really love on myself for for what I am. Let me love on myself for being human enough to do play that comparison game. And then mm-hmm. dig into my moment, my gifts, my potential, and ask, what could I focus on that is an appropriate level of difficulty for this moment so that I can push myself to grow and surprise mm. myself and really shine instead of just tumbling on my head again and again and again. Mm. I freaking love that. Like from the moment that you started with the gymnastics analogy to this end of this statement, it's like you couldn't have put it more perfectly. Dang. No wonder you do what you do. Like, I feel, I feel like you just, you gave me like a little nugget of like empowerment. And it's like this little light and you're like, here, Johanna, here you go. I mean, I don't even know how how else to explain it. I feel like your words were, I can't wait for others to feel what I feel. I'm excited to go teach today. That's how I feel. I'm excited to go to go blast Johanna and the version that I am and how I feel empowered exactly where I am right now, not trying to meet anything higher, not trying to be anybody else like man. And that's what your students want more than anything. They do not want a paper doll, Johanna. <sighs> yeah. Wow. That's the thing. It's like, I also have two daughters. So I think about that too, you know, and I know you have two daughters as well. And it's like, man, one of the ultimate goals is to hopefully for our daughters to be, you know, better versions, right. And for them to not have similar hangups and for them to not have to overcome these things. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're doing what you do. I'm grateful that I'm doing the work that I'm doing to hopefully, I don't know, rattle enough change, inspire enough change. <laughs> Feeling so grateful right now because you said what you said and it was just so poignant and it was so perfect. And it was so, it was, you know, sometimes you just need to hear the most simplest things, just like said in a way that you're ready to hear them. And it's like, duh, the yes. way that you explained the just, Showing up and meeting yourself where you are versus trying to be something that you're not ready to be yet. Oh, people love you for who you are as you are. They're not coming to your class because they're hoping that today you're going to walk around and give cues verbally. They're there because they like you as mm-hmm. you did your class, following yeah. along, teaching along, however it is that we choose to. As you said towards the beginning of our conversation, a lot of students prefer 
when the teacher demos. Yes. Now, the teachers are showing up in the room with a different role. They're showing up, hopefully, with more perspective. So sometimes the teacher teaches in a way that isn't the student's favorite in service of the student's growth, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, It's again, it's not about pleasing our students as much as it is about helping them. Mm-hmm. So there are reasons to walk around the room while you teach, primarily so that you can see what's going on better. And when you can see what's going on better, then your cues can be more responsive to Mm -hmm. the actual students in the room and the things that they are struggling with and the things that you don't have to give cues on the things that they don't need cues about. If they're already doing it, you don't need to cue it. So the less that you're practicing, the more refined your cues can become. That desire needs to come from the inside. It needs to come from a place of, I believe I could serve my students better if I could see them better. Mm-hmm. That's a great reason to get up and walk around the room. Okay. That makes sense. I like that. Now, right now, my classes realistically are small. I know you talk about how when you first started, you know, you're, you taught for, I want to say the first couple of years, you had like three to five students like regularly, but you taught that class until it grew and you know, so I do think about that. I'm like, okay, well, I've had max six students in my class. And then I've also had times where nobody's shown up. And I've thought of you in those times and like your stories about like, I stuck through and this is where I started. And so it's it's great to have that perspective, like that reflect, like, look, everyone starts somewhere. And so yeah. even if it's one student that shows up, I'm always so grateful and so excited because it's always an opportunity, right? But now I feel a little bit different. I feel empowered and I feel like I've been given permission to just freely be myself without beating myself up for not meeting silly expectations that I created from, you know, external influences. Yeah. And the great thing is that those stories and those expectations have a lot of power when they go unnamed and unexamined. Mm. Mm. But now that you are seeing them, you can let them be in their place. You can say, ah, I see you. You're an opinion. You're not the truth. Ooh. Let Ooh. me check in for the truth. Dang, I love that. That's so beautifully said. I'm just taking so many little wisdom nuggets from you through this chat. It's really empowering. That means so much to me to hear you say that because... Yeah. Taking on the role of yoga teacher is a big deal. It's something that most of us don't do lightly. And we mm-hmm. pour so much love and care and desire to help into this role. And ideally, I believe that it needs to be both a giving and a receiving. Mm-hmm. That if we are just pouring ourselves into it, we're going to just get depleted and burnt out. But the opportunity from that pouring in is expansion, is self-awareness, is stepping into our potential and using the framework of yoga to help us examine and make sense of the world and then live in it more skillfully. So that's what we're getting from being a yoga teacher. But 
it's a big deal to take that on. I was just in my Facebook group, I just answered this message from somebody who was in a yoga teacher training. And she said, I don't have much of a yoga background. I entered this yoga teacher training and I'm overwhelmed. There's so much theory. It's all theory. And I thought it was going to be <laughs> practice. And then I was going to be able to teach a couple yoga classes at a gym. And I think that's a really common experience where people have this very limited experience of yoga. They step into a teacher training and the curtains peel back and it's just like, there's so much coming at you. I invited her to, to check in if she's ready for a teacher training, that this may be an indication that she needs to just be a student for a few years, which I know that you did for a long time. I just think that being, being a yoga teacher is a huge deal. <laughs> and nobody from the outside understands. Nobody gets it if they're not haven't done it. It's kind of like parenting, right? Agreed. People think that they get what it's like to be a parent and then they become a parent and they go to all their friends that were parents or maybe they turn <laughs> yeah. to their own parents and they're like, oh, uh, I thought I understood. I thought I got it. But until I experienced it, I couldn't. It's a whole other world. It's so true. I just want to provide that soft landing pad to be able to come and share and say, this is hard, right? And have other people say, yeah, it is. And you're doing great. Keep going. Oh. And you've created exactly that. I wouldn't have listened to, I think, every episode, you know, back to back, had it not been that way. Like when I found you. I found you right when I started teaching. I found the podcast. I was like, okay, I'm going to need something to give me a little boost to, to inspire me, to make me feel relevant right now because you know it'd been a while I did it I've done some teacher trainings here and there throughout like little mini ones but I needed something more and this podcast oh I learned so much from building a website to anatomy through Libby Hinesley I mean I, I could go on and on like I have a list of all the things that I've learned just from your podcast and things that I've applied in my life personally and as a teacher and that's huge that's that says a lot. I've literally learned so much. You really, you have a resource podcast for yoga teachers. It's exactly what it says it does. I want to recognize, no, I want to recognize what you're doing because if you've done it for me, I can only imagine you've done it for thousands. So it's like, damn, you're hardcore. You are a badass. So thank you. Thank you for choosing to, to take this path on. If this is hard for me and I'm just... I'm just doing this. I can only imagine what you take on. So I I give that to you with like admiration and gratitude. Thank you. Yeah. You know, your capacity is going to grow over time. That's what's cool about these practices. That's what's cool about this role is it grows your capacity to be uncomfortable. <laughs> it grows yeah. your capacity to know yourself. It grows your capacity to express yourself. So it's, oh. a, it's a huge gift. I believe it and I'm excited to be a part of it. And I, I see it even just in little minor experiences, even just with what I'm doing here with you today. Yeah. So I know that my voice will refine. I know that my cues will refine. Like all of this has to happen through teaching. It's not like there's only so many things I can read. There's only so many things I can listen to, right? Like unless I throw myself in there, 
nothing's really going to evolve or change. So that was my biggest step was throwing myself into the lion's den, so to speak, finding my voice or finding, making my voice strong enough to do it, right? Get through at least the first class and then now get this far. Yeah, my biggest hang up at the moment has been feeling like there was something wrong with following along. And it's funny because I feel like in one of your podcasts, and it may be like years ago, somebody made a point, this kind of was talked about very quickly, but somebody made a point like, well, like in aerobics, like aerobic instructors are like literally doing like, you know, in all sorts of other fitness classes, like the instructors are doing the class all the way along. And I don't know if that was a point that you made, but it was like, well, nobody ever says there's anything wrong with that. It's true. It's true. Lots of fitness classes, the instructor demonstrates, there are limitations to that, right? It's very much about leading instead of learning. So I go to fitness classes and I see the limitations in Mm. the practice of demonstrating everything. Basically, the idea is to get through as much in as little time as possible. That is the demonstration approach. It serves a purpose. Students do like it. For me, yoga is more precious than that, Mm. than just doing as much as you can in the amount of time allotted. And I have received so much benefit from slowing down and getting detailed and experimenting and playing. You know, even when I go to exercise classes, I wish sometimes that the teacher would stop and explain things a bit better, would walk mm-hmm. around and, and point things out to people and give feedback. But that's mm-hmm. me. I know that not everybody True. feels that way. And I think part of it, too, is the way that we as yoga teachers put so much of ourselves into this. It's so important to us. It's such a big deal. We want our students to feel that way, too, and they don't always. <laughs> so we, to honor and respect mm. our students, we have to meet them where they're at. And the idea is that we will inspire them into uncovering another layer of themselves into one step of growth. But just like for us, we don't want to be trying to do those flips before we're ready. We don't mm. need to push our students to do their flips before they're ready. What we're hoping for is like more subtlety, more subtle awareness, right? We yeah. might get excited about that as teachers and they're not ready for it. <laughs> they're so like, true. I can't even Listen. feel where my elbow is in this pose, <laughs> right? right? I just need to see you doing it so I can get my body into an approximation yes. of it. So we're going to meet them where they're at. And a lot of times that's going to include demonstrating. And then together you'll grow. Together you'll grow. And you will feel inspired to push yourself to get up and walk around more. And when you see the information you receive by doing that, that's going to inspire you to do it more. So Mm. if if you do feel inspired, I do encourage you to just plan out a little section of class that you're going to not demonstrate. Give them a heads up. I'm not going to demonstrate this part. I'm just going to talk you through it. Practice that little section at home several times until you feel comfortable with it. You can practice it at home during your practice. So you can do it while you're practicing at home. And then you step away and you practice guiding without demonstrating at home. But 
at home in those moments where you're like, oops, what do I say here? Then you can pop into the pose, feel it out, and then pop back out and practice. And even in the class while you're teaching, if you get stuck, you you told them already, okay, this next section, I'm not going to demonstrate. I'm just going to guide you through it. And then you are like, oh, shoot, what do I say here? It's okay to then pop into the pose. You can even tell them, I got mixed up. I tripped over my words. I need to get into the pose real quick. Bear with me. You're human. I love that. I love that. That is such a beautiful way to like give someone like myself the opportunity to experience it without feeling like the pressure of like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this whole class like that? Just a little segment, practice it at home. I love it because I know I can do it. Like that's all I need is like a minor little encouraging challenge that feels very attainable versus like a huge undertaking, which is what I was like putting on myself, which seemed unbearable. Yeah. And you can even bring your students into the project. Tell them Mm. I'm working on demonstrating less because I want to see you more and give you better cues. I love that. So at times, I'm going to be popping in and out of the poses. I'll try to be clear and give you warning when I'm popping out. At times, mm-hmm. I may pop back in. We're learning together. I freaking love it. It just, it feels so human and just so relatable. And just, I love when people are human like that. So why would I not think that other people would love that too? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's, it's so funny how we have different standards, much higher standards for ourselves yeah. than we so do for true. other people. We're like patient yeah. with other people. We're <laughs> forgiving. We think their faults are cute. But then for ourselves, oh, nice. it's like oh, a drama. No. There's no room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Well, I hope that you stay in touch and I hope that you let us know how this experiment goes. Maybe you can come back in a few months and do a follow-up. That'd be awesome. Yeah, Yeah. what's next? I'd love that. That would be so great. Thank you so much for asking the question, which I know you're not the only one who has this question. I know you're not the only one who is putting all these expectations on yourself. So by asking the question in a vulnerable way and showing up like this, you're really helping other people. Thank you so much for doing that. Oh, it's an honor and a pleasure. And I'm just so grateful to meet you. Thank you for doing what you do, Mado. Thank you, Johanna. Mm-hmm.